0: The oh. Southridge, We are so honored and glad that you are here this morning. Looking forward to the start of a brand new series. I'm glad that you are here. Looking forward to seeing what God has for us in store this morning. Well, if you are a first-time visitor here, you are welcome. You are our VIP special honored guest. We're so glad and thrilled that you are here. And uh, please make sure if you need anything, let one of us know in a blue lanyard. we we'll be glad to get it for you, help you out. If there's anything that you need, we are so honored that you would be here. Well, if you're just joining us, I need you to do something. I need you to touch the person next to you, and I need you to tell them, you're really lucky to know me, okay? You just need to touch the person next to you and say, you are really lucky to know me, okay? Just kind of get that ego boost this morning, and then you need to touch that person back, and then say, and I'm really lucky to know you too, and I'm really lucky to know you too, all right? It goes both ways, It goes both ways. Good morning. Welcome to church. Glad you are here. We don't have to come to church to be all grumpy. We can be happy. It's all right. I know it's Sunday. Sunday it's early. I was talking to a few of you and it feels so weird because last Sunday we had church at the beach, all right? And that was really cool except for how many of you got like the sunburn of your life, all right? Yeah, yeah, it was brutal, brutal. I kid you not, my face peeled off. It literally did, okay? Megan, she she the kids they learn about Naaman and if any of you know the Bible character Naaman, he had leprosy and and Megan started to cry because she said you're going daddy's going to die he has leprosy you know she was all worried about it i was like no, no no it's just my face peeling off it's okay i didn't put enough sunblock on so the uh, the beach was awesome except for all the sun that we got we just kind of got burnt but it was exciting to see the people that got baptized man that was awesome just to see those people and honestly it's days like that that are just do it for me, where I'm just like, that was awesome to see them get baptized, and the people that got baptized, their is incredible, they're just like my heroes, I've gotten to know them, gotten to talk with them, and um, one day I'm going to ask them to tell you guys their story, because it's powerful, and they don't think they're they're special or incredible, but to me, and when I hear their story, I'm just like, Keep it together, man. You know, their story is just awesome. All right. And so one day I'll ask them to share it. But this morning we're going to jump into a series we're calling Christian. And uh, if you're not familiar with what our format, how we do a series is it's kind of like we'll take a topic, we'll take a character study, we'll take a person, and then we'll spend the next six to maybe even as much as eight weeks diving down and just studying that character. Well, when it came to this topic of Christian, It was just this interesting concept to me because I think that there is so much confusion around the title of Christian. I think when we hear it, and if I were to kind of take time and hand you a mic and say, Hey, what is your definition of Christian? And if I were to do that through everybody in this audience, I think we would all have a different definition. Now, we may have somewhat similar definitions, but we could all come up with something different because Christian is just that broad. But here's the question I wrestle with. It's that so many people today love Jesus. I mean, it's really hard for you to meet somebody who says, no, no, I, I hate Jesus. I don't like Jesus. I want nothing to do with Jesus. That's rare. But we hear a lot of people that say, oh, no, no, I really love Jesus. I just can't stand Christians. How many, honest? you've heard something similar to that? A lot of us, we're like, yeah, yeah, we, we've seen that. We've been there. And why is that? Why is there a disconnect between the one we follow, so many people love and adore him, but yet his followers, it's who they have a problem with? Some of you, the reason you almost didn't become a Christian is because of a Christian. For some of you, the reason you are a Christian is because of a Christian too, all right? So this goes both ways. There are some really good ones, but then there's some that you're like... Please don't tell people you're a Christian. Like, just do us all a favor, you know. Like, I know you really love your your witness wear, and I maybe you've seen that. There's one. It says that Jesus, he loved the hell out of me, you know. And you've seen those shirts, and, and maybe you've seen other shirts like it that says, "Hey, this blood's for you." And you're just like, uh, please don't wear that. <laughs> you're just like, eh, don't. That's you're not helping anybody out this morning. And so there's a lot of confusion when it comes to this thing of Christians over the next five weeks. We're going to dive into what it actually means and what it means to be a Christian. Because I do believe it is a loaded label. I believe it's one of the greatest brands in the world. We have our favorite brands, don't we? We have that brand where some of you are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm all about Apple. I'm really big into Nike, or I'm really big into this new brand, Uniqlo, or I'm into this something else. You just got all these brands that you really like. But Christian is this huge brand, but It's so undefined. And we find out that throughout Scripture, the reason it's so broad is because it really isn't defined. You know, the word Christian is only mentioned three times in the Bible? Only three times. And not only is it only mentioned three times, Christian is a title that Christians didn't even call themselves that. It's only more recent history that we actually call ourselves Christians because it first happened in Acts chapter number 11. You can look it up. We're not going to go through this morning, but Acts chapter number 11, Barnabas goes to the city and the city is called Antioch. And Barnabas goes there and that's where Christians are first called Christians, but they're not called Christians by Christ followers. That's by the people that are outside the faith. And it was almost a derogatory remark. You see, Christians, what they called themselves was disciples and Jesus called Christians disciples disciples. You see, the word Christian is so broad, but when we talk about disciple, that's not as broad. It's very narrow, and we can define it, and we can kind of find out what it is. But the reason we're going to dive into this series, because I want us to see what does it mean to be a true follower of Jesus Christ? What does it look like? And if you have your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke chapter number 11. And I love seeing not only who to follow, but see the example of how we follow. So in Luke chapter number 7, And if you don't have a Bible, it'll be in your worship guide, or the verses will be up on the screen. And we're going to read just this this interesting dialogue that's going to happen in this passage, and we're going to dive into this message this morning. Notice, if you would, we're going to pick it up in verse number 30. Let's go to 36, okay? The Bible says this, And one of the Pharisees desired that he, this is Jesus, would eat with him. And he went with the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet and here's what's interesting, okay? Back then, and this happened in the city of Capernaum, my wife and I have been to this city. It's not a very big city, all right? The entire city could easily fit in the mall, okay, easily fit in this whole mall. It's not a very big city, but this was one of the bigger cities back then, and so here's this city, and Jesus has come to town. He's come to the, meet with a Pharisee. This Pharisee, we're going to learn his name. His name is Simon, and Simon is not like, hey, I really like Jesus, so I'm going to invite him over. You invite somebody over because you like them. Simon actually doesn't like Jesus. He's actually looking for an oppor- opportunity to discredit that he really is the Messiah, and so he's looking for that opportunity, and he's not going to treat Jesus very well. And we're going to see that in this passage. So Simon's invited him over. But during that day and age, it was just kind of a cultural thing where if a foreign uh, dignitary or somebody was over at your house, the whole city was kind of welcome to just kind of stand around as they watched you eat. And they would pick up news or they'd pick up gossip or they would just uh, hear the conversation. And so Jesus came to Capernaum. And so this is kind of a big deal. So this, when you see this next verse, you're going to think, instead of thinking this is odd, just understand. It's kind of actually a normal thing. Verse number 37, the Bible says, And behold, it's almost like, hey, stop, take notice. A woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat with the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee, this is Simon, which had bidden Jesus to come to the dinner, he thought within himself saying, this man, if he really were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that's touching him, for she's a sinner. And the word sinner means reprobate. It means like, she's not just bad, she's really bad. I mean, she's got a bad past. Basically, what she was, she was kind of a basically the town prostitute okay she's just a woman of the night and this is the kind of woman that came and was anointing Jesus feet and and wiping the tears from his feet with her hair this is that kind of woman and Jesus answered and said unto him Simon I have some something to say unto you and he and Simon says master say on and Jesus I love how he can make a point by using a story Here's what he does in verse number 41. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. So you need to understand a pence was a day's wage. So basically, one guy owed a year and a half. The other owed 50 days. So there's two debts. One had this huge debt. One had a smaller debt. And verse 42, and when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Jesus said, tell me therefore, which of them will love him the most. Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, seeest thou this woman? I have entered into thine house, thou gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears. And she wiped them with the hairs of her head. And she, you gave me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came into this house, had not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil you did not anoint, but this woman which hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little and he said unto her, thy sins are forgiven. Let's pray, and we're going to dive into this this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I pray this morning that you would help us to see not only what a Christian is true, truly supposed to be, but then also we would follow that pattern. And I pray that you would speak to those this morning who maybe they have questions about Christianity. Maybe they're just kind of on the outskirts looking in. And maybe they've been hurt or, or wounded by a Christian. And maybe they've been bothered by by something that's happened. And I pray this morning would be give them great clarity. I pray that they would see something new and afresh. And I pray that you would speak to hearts and lives. We ask in Jesus' precious name. This morning, we're looking at a title, and that is simply that Christian is a loaded label. You see, Christianity is based on a set of beliefs, which are important, but a disciple majored on a set of behaviors. You see, it's important to know what you believe. It's important to have beliefs, but it's also important to let those beliefs affect our behavior. And we see three characters in this passage of Scripture. You've got Jesus. You've got Simon the Pharisee, which was, uh, if you could say, he had it all together. I mean, this guy did what was right. He acted right. He just kind of looked right. But inside, he had missed it. And then you've got this woman who, she's had a hard life. She's made some poor decisions. And we're not going to uh, drag her through her poor decisions, but let's just address it and call it for what it is. She made some really bad decisions. And here are these three characters. And Jesus is going to demonstrate, it's not so much important of what I believe as so much as it affects how I behave. You see, it's one thing to know a lot, but it's only when you implement it that it actually does any good. Uh, I've talked to you about when I went to Taekwondo for two weeks, it was pretty cool. I quit because of a girl in black belt beat me up. And then after that, I said, I'm done with this. It's not much fun. But the one thing that was kind of neat was the fact that if you were bigger or stronger, that really didn't matter. What mattered is what the person knew, because if he had the right techniques down, he could get you in any type of a hold. He could get you in an arm bar. He could get you in a pin. He could get you at a pressure point. Why? Because he knew the technique. But it's not enough just to know the technique, is it? You've got to be able to use and demonstrate the technique. It's one thing that you may know the Bible. It's one thing that you may be able to quote Bible verses till you're black and blue. It's one thing that you may have a Jesus fish bumper sticker. But it's an entirely different thing when you say, my belief actually affects my behavior. Because we've got a lot of people that they'll tell you they're a Christian. But as you look at their beliefs, you'll say, you and I believe the same, but we don't behave the same. And you and I, when it comes down to it, the proof, as the old adage goes, is in the pudding. As if, hey, what they're doing is what really matters. How they're living, how they're behaving is where the big deal is. And so you and I, it doesn't matter the fact that, hey, we try to tell people we're a Christian. Let's show people that we're a Christian. Let's live this thing out. You see, our lives are shaped by those who have loved us and those who have hurt us. That's how our lives are shaped. And sometimes I believe we as Christians, we're supposed to show the world that we love them. But oftentimes I feel like we may be more like the Pharisee and we're very standoffish. We're very much like, oh, no, 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 let's not get dirty here. Let's not get messy. Let's not get too involved. Let's stay back. And here Jesus is, he dives into this situation. You see, Jesus, though, he was known for just hanging around uh, different people, difficult people. He was known for that. And here he is, he's going to reach out to this Pharisee, and he wants to engage with this Pharisee. But this Pharisee is shocked by this woman that's in his house. And let me set the scene for just a second because I don't believe we just look at Scripture and just kind of say, oh, that's nice. But I believe we really need to throw ourselves into it for a second. Here's this woman, she, she had came because she had heard about Jesus. Her life has been changed. She has received something. And here she is, she's standing back. She wasn't sure when it was polite to engage the conversation. Because there would have been many people watching this around this table. And it wasn't polite to just kind of uh, butt in. You were just kind of to be seen and not heard. Kind of like what we want our children to be, okay? Just kind of be there and uh, just kind of be quiet. And so here's this woman, she's just standing back. But then this woman, she's noticed something. She noticed that this Pharisee Simon has not been a very good host. Matter of fact, in cultural norms, he's been a very rude host. You see... Back then, when you'd come into somebody's house today, if you come into my home, we have a little custom. You take off your shoes, you leave them at the door, and if they're nice shoes, I take them, and I'll leave you a junkie pair, or something like that. But, I mean, it's, it's just a cultural custom. But back then, they had a cultural custom that if you were anybody special or the, or, or the honored guest, you would take off your shoes, and then a servant would wash your feet. And if you were an especially honored guest, the host would wash your feet. But nobody's washed Jesus' feet. Not only that, but then also you would give um, um, the honored guest a kiss on the cheek as a sign of welcome. Jesus received no kiss. He, it, was, it would it'd be almost like you come over to, to uh, my house, and I invite you over, and we're sitting there. We're having dinner, but I don't look at you. I don't talk to you. I don't engage with you. I act like you're not there. You would say, man, why did you even invite me over? You're not talking to me. You're not engaging with me. There's nothing going on here. That's what happened here, okay? And there's this woman. She's looking for a moment to just kind of, hey, I want to bless Jesus because he's touched me. I want to I I do something for him. But she's standing back, and she's just overwhelmed by this scene. She's overwhelmed by, here's Jesus, the one who died for me, the one who loves me, the one who's going to do so much for me. And she's just overwhelmed, and she's noticing how this Simon, how he's treated him. Also, in that day and age, you know, baths were kind of a luxury. So anointing your head with oil just kind of was a deodorizer, you know. I mean, you get sitting together, and uh, you're laying down. You're kind of close around the table. You just kind of don't want to be uh, 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 smelling like an onion. So what you would do is you would kind of uh, anoint him with some type of oil. Jesus received none of this. So none of the cultural norms have happened. But here this woman, she's so moved by the scene. And she's so moved where she just breaks down crying and she can't stop weeping because she's been so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus where she silently steps up to where Jesus are. And her tears begin to fall on his dirty feet. And she sees that his feet are unclean. And then she does something. She lets down her hair. Now you need to understand something. In that culture, you didn't let down your hair, ladies, except in front of your husband. This is just a cultural thing. You just did not do it. You wore it up in a bun. That's just the way you did it, okay? Some of you guys, maybe a little man bun. I don't know. And it was just one of those things that you just kind of did, and it was cultural, and that's just the way it went. And so this Pharisee, Simon, he's shocked. He's shocked by the way this woman is treating Jesus because she's been so overwhelmed. Can I say this? Even though this woman... Has had a hard life, even though she's made some poor decisions. I love the fact that Jesus said this about her in verse 47. She says, Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Here's this woman. She had demonstrated how much she loved Jesus. But sometimes, don't you feel like you would just kind of mess up in that area? I want you to understand, and please write this down. While we may fail at love, love never fails. We may fail at being all that we should be, but love never failed us. You see, you may be sitting here, you may be saying, you know, I've made some poor decisions. I've made some poor choices. I've done some things that I just can't believe I did it. They're in my past. It's part of my story. I can't erase it. And even though I've messed up, I'm so thankful that Jesus' love never fails. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the great love chapter, it says in verse number 8, that love never fails fails. That love never gives up. That no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, the love never gives up. But what's interesting in this passage, the Bible says in verse 37, and behold a woman in the city, which was a sinner. Okay, so there's already been a moment where she's changed. She's different. She's not what she used to be. That song that Dougie played was so eloquently portrayed that there's a change that's happened. But notice what Simon says about her. Verse 39, the Bible says this, now, when, Pete, and when, and when uh, the Pharisee, which uh, behold him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known what manner of woman this is. Wait a minute. The prior verse says, which was a sinner. And here's Simon saying, which is a sinner. What is he trying to do? He's trying to throw her past right back into her present. Trying to bring it right back and trying to say, No, 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 I'm going to call you by your sin. I'm going to bring this junk right back up. And that's such a tactic of the devil. He's always trying to bring your past into your present. He's always trying to bring that junk that you may have done, that stuff that you're trying to say, Wait a minute, Jesus died for it. It's forgiven. It's covered. It's done. I've gotten forgiveness. That's behind me and Satan will always try to bring that into your present and he'll try to use all these things and all of a sudden you'll start to feel this guilt creep into your life you see guilt sees what could what should have been that's what guilt does guilt you'll go through your life and just say oh man this is what could have been or this is what should have been but God sees what will be You see, your guilt is always going to tell you what you could have and should have been. But God will say, no, no, this is what you will be. He sees the future you. He sees what you can be. He sees your potential. But here's Simon. Simon is not letting her go because Simon saw her through the lens of what she had done. And he couldn't see her any other way. You see, I want you to understand this morning, if you're here, I want you to understand that you're never too lost to be found. You're never too bad to be forgiven, and you're never too enslaved to be free. Here's this woman, she brought an alabaster box that was part of her trade, all right? And I don't want to go too much into the nitty-gritty of, of why she would have an alabaster bo- uh, box of ointment, but this was part of her trade and that what she had done from her past life. Here she's bringing it to Jesus, and she's going to empty it all as a sign to say, hey, not only have I made a decision to follow Jesus, but I'm emptying everything from that past life. I'm doing away with that. There's no more of that past life. I'm not hanging on to any of it. I'm not hanging on to any of those bad habits. I'm not hanging on to any of those old friends. I'm not hanging on to any of that. For some of you, the word for you this morning is you need to leave an in-crowd. You say, what do you mean the in-crowd? For some of you, you need to leave that in-crowd. You say, what is that in-crowd? That insecurity, the insignificance, the insufficiency. There's this in-crowd that you just got to leave if you're going to move on. But some of you aren't ready to leave that in-crowd. You just kind of keep hanging around what you think is that in-crowd. But that in-crowd is keeping you back. And I want you to understand that even though you may fail at love, love will never fail you. That love, Jesus said, hey, I love you. And our faith is supposed to be marked by love. Our faith at the very ethos, the very cornerstone of our faith is love. Everything about our faith is geared toward this topic of love. But why is it that when people look at us as Christians, they often think that they're judgmental, homophobic, they secretly relish that everybody else is going to hell but them? Why is that? Because I think we've settled for just being Christians. I think we've settled for just being like, hey, this is how I believe. Instead of letting our belief really affect our behavior. That The Bible said that Jesus told his disciples in John chapter number 13 that, hey, if you, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. He said this is how they're going to know. That's how they toppled Rome. Hey, it's amazing. If you would have asked a Christian during the time of Nero as he was burning Christians in his garden to light it for his dinner parties, if you were to ask him, hey, in hundreds of years from now, there should be all these crosses around Rome. And this is going to be the epicenter of what would be a a Christian movement. They would say, you got to be kidding me. They, They wouldn't believe you. How did they topple Rome? How do they do it without a sword? How do they do it without a political agenda? How do they do it? They toppled Rome because of one thing, and it was love. You say, how am I going to change my family? Love. How am I going to change my coworker? Love. How am I going to change me? It was the love that sent Jesus to the cross, why he died for you. For God so loved the world. And we're going to see some other facts regarding that. But I don't want you to sit here and think that, hey, there's something else this world needs. You see, for too long, we've tried to use everything else but love, and we're wondering why it hasn't worked. We're stepping back and saying, hey, we tried to use so many other things, and we're going to see this. You see, when we need God the most is when we feel like being close to him the least, though. I think too often, though, we can look at this passage, and we can get confused by who is at the center of this story. If you think Jesus is at the center of this story, you're kind of missing it. If you think the woman is at the center of the story, you kind of missed it. The goal for Jesus in this passage is to reach Simon. Because Simon is the guy that instead of using love, Simon's trying to use something else to get people to do right and behave differently. He's trying to use a loophole. The loophole was the law. Simon was all about the law. Got to keep the law. And some of you have met some Christians where they emphasize law, law, law. And you're wondering why you're not changing christianity has been filled with people who try to use the law what do you think the great crusades were it was an attempt to say hey we're going to force you to do something and they failed but it's when we stop and look and say hey i'm done using the law that's when great change comes but here's simon he needs god the most but guess what he wants him the least and there's going to be a time in your life when you're going to need God the most, and your flesh and everything inside of you is going to want God the least. For some of you, that struggle was this morning just to get to church. For some of you, it's that struggle every day just to open up your Bible. And the times when you say, hey, I really, really don't want to do it, that's just tell yourself, this is when I need it the most. This is when I need it the most. Hey, just a, just a, 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 a transparent moment yesterday. I hadn't read my Bible all day, and it was about 8.30, 9 o'clock, and I was like, man, I really need to read my Bible. I really need to spend some time in the Word of God. But you know what? My heart was just like, I'm just too busy. I'm too tired. I really don't want to. It's 9 o'clock. Come on. I got so much to do. I was frustrated. My house was hot for whatever reason. I don't know if any of your houses were just warm and it's just muggy. And I was like, we're so cheap. We don't turn on the air conditioning, even though it works. I don't know if you feel me on that. You know, you open up the screen door, you turn on the fan. It's not doing it. It's just blowing hot air. and You're just getting mad. and You're just like kicking a cat and you don't have a cat. So you go to the neighbor's yard and you kick the neighbor's cat. And that felt so good. You did it again. And then a couple more times, but that's all right. Just don't turn me in, and so you're just frustrated, and last night, that was me, and at the moment, I looked down at my message, and all of a sudden, God was like, hey, Micaiah, did you see point number two? Guess what you wrote? How about you live it? I was like, oh, man, I hate it when that happens. I hate it when I write a message for me, but I need it, and those are the times you need it, too. You see, there's going to be Sunday mornings, you're going to say, no, no, come on, my bed is way too comfortable, and that theater is... Yeah, it smells like popcorn. I'm not really down with the popcorn smell. And I don't know what they did on this seat. There's a stain here. I don't know what that is. I'm not sure. I'm going to start bringing my own Lysol, and I'm going to start bringing my own stuff, and wear a hazmat suit, because I don't know what's going on in here. And so you're like, I just, no, I don't want to. Besides, my favorite cartoons are on. I don't know if you're into cartoons, or or the golf is on. I don't know what you like, but there's going to be a temptation to keep you from doing what you need the most. And Simon needed Jesus more than anybody else did. You know why he needed it more? Because he thought he was okay. He didn't think he needed it. And it's when you and I think we're okay. What does the Bible say? Take heed lest you fall. It's the Christians that say, Satan would never get me. I'm too strong. Isn't that what Peter said before he stumbled and fell? Isn't that what he told Jesus? He said, Jesus, all these other losers, these 11 pansies, they're going to leave you but not me. Kind of thumped his own chest. Believe it or not, I just was studying this this past week and I realized that we often assume that all the disciples were much older than they were. Peter is the only one that's actually over the age of twenty one. Did you know that? These were young guys. Especially when you consider the average life expectancy at that time is about 50. Makes a lot of sense. They were just young, immature followers of Jesus. Peter's the one mature one. He's the one that was actually married, the one that actually had a job. And so he was the one that says, all right, guys, i, I got to stay home with the wife. I can't be out partying. I can't be out there playing video games tonight. i, I got to be home. i got got responsibilities. He's the one that says, Jesus, these guys, I can see they're immature. These millennialists, these, these the hipsters, these guys, they, they're not going to follow you, but I will. I'll, I'll be there. And all of a sudden, a little rooster just calls out, where's Peter? Not to be found. You see, the time when you need Jesus the most is we're going to be tempted to stay away from him. And you're going to want him the least. Why? Because, and here's Simon, he needs Jesus desperately. And he looked for a loophole, and the loophole was the law. And he, and he looked at the law, and the law said, Simon, if you will just do A, B, C, D, if you will just check these off, you're okay, man. And for some of you, that, you think that's Christianity. You're looking at the loophole of the law, and you're saying, I measure up with the law. And you think you're all right. But Jesus, he looked for something else. And maybe you've seen people do this. You've met people. They look for something else. They look for leverage. We know this to be true. You can be in a business environment and people will that are going to acquire different companies, they go in, they go into a meeting looking for leverage. And uh, you can just kind of tell they're looking for an edge on the competition. They're looking for what's a way we can get ahead of them. If you're into sports, they're always work, looking for that leverage. Where can we get an edge on this team? How can we get ahead of them? Sometimes even in the marriage, one spouse will pit against the other and they're looking for leverage, why they should get to do what they want to do. And it never works out well, except for here, Jesus, he is looking for leverage. But the leverage He's going to use this not the leverage of the law Because the law is powerless But jesus is going to use the leverage of love Because that's what jesus wanted to use because it's only through the leverage of the love that lives are changed That was good I like that. I'm going to say that again. It is only through the leverage of love that lives are changed Until somebody says amen. I'm going to keep saying it. I mean, that's where we need a park at church we have missed out because we've settled for just being a Christian. When people look at us, they have to really look to see if we actually are. I was sitting down with a bunch of Christians a couple weeks ago. My wife was there. and We sat down. There about 10 of us, 12 of us. Uh, some were Christian school teachers. Some worked in the church. Some were deacons in the church. We sat there. We spent $300 on lunch, and nobody tipped. And it made me mad. They invited me out, and I was like, hey, this is great. My wife and I got home, and they said, you know what? Nobody tipped. And I said, you got to be kidding me. you got to be kidding me. Because they saw a bunch of people that skirts down to their ankles, you know, and everything's buttoned up. Everybody looks so modest. Everybody, nobody got any alcohol, and everybody looked just right, and we were a bunch of Christians, but guess what? We were a bunch of jerks. So my wife and I said, hey, how much money was it? All right. We'll help out. That guy needs a tip. For 10 people, he worked that hard. Come on. But we do that. We do that as Christians. And we don't think anything of it. We don't think of anything of it that, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm just going to berate this person on the phone. I'm just, man, you didn't get my iWatch. I got this 42 millimeter, and it's not working right, and we just want to berate this person. We just want to go hard on this person. And I'm thinking in the back of my mind, wait a minute. I surely hope they don't find out that I'm a Christian. Because why? We want to use that leverage of the law because we have our rights. But you tell me this. If your child or your spouse is injured and they're hurting and you need to get them to the hospital and on the way to the hospital as you're driving, there are a bunch of signs that the law says, here's the speed limit. Let me ask you a question. Are you following the law at that moment? No. Because love is going beyond. You know, Jesus, he was breaking the law at this point. Here's a woman that he shouldn't be letting touch him. And he was saying, I'm willing to risk my reputation because I'm here to send a message, not just make a point. You see, here's Simon trying to say, look at me. I'm sitting across the table. I'm trying to interact with Jesus, trying to be nice and holy here. And Simon think he had it all together, but Simon was bankrupt, missing something. His life was empty and deficient. Because he was trying to use the loophole of the law instead of leveraging love. And you and I as a church need to always be asking ourselves, are we leveraging the law in this moment or are we leveraging love? You see, we understand leverage. We use it. I just heard this week and somebody said, hey, when you're ever around your kids, always be looking for leverage. Find out what their favorite toys or favorite things are. Say, oh, you like video games, huh? Call of Duty, huh? All right, so when they're bad, you just take it. They just take it. Oh, you like Frozen. Oh, good. All right. Excellent. All right. We will take every Frozen doll, every Frozen DVD, and we will get rid of it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. We don't need it. It's enough. Time to let it go. And so you're just like, all right, we're ready to move in. We look for that leverage, but when it comes to love, we don't look for the leverage to love, leverage love. We're, we're, we stop short of that. Instead of getting in a situation where we're frustrated and say, wait a minute, this situation needs a little bit of love right now. Instead, we're trying to say, well, I got my rights. I'm going to follow the law. Instead of saying, wait a minute, Jesus decided to leverage love even though he was willing to risk his reputation. And also, think about this for a second. Who is Jesus reaching out to? Because you and I, if we're in the same situation, my tendency is to try to impress the one that's got the power and the position, the prestige. That's just my flesh. But who is Jesus willing to reach out to in that moment? The one who might ruin his reputation. He was okay with not only risking his reputation, but then reaching for rejects. He was reaching out to this woman. But not only was he reaching out to the woman, he was also trying to reach out to Simon. And he did it in such a graceful way. Here he even says in this passage, he's saying, hey, Simon, let me tell you a story. There's two people. One had a huge debt. The other one had a debt, but it wasn't as big. Which one will love the creditor more when they forgive the debt? And, and here's, here, here, here's Simon thinking, oh, the one with the bigger debt. You know what? Simon did not see himself in the story. Simon didn't see himself as indebted. Simon didn't see himself as bankrupt. Simon just thought, Jesus is just telling a nice parable. And you know what? I feel like that's what we do as Christians. We come to church, and we start hearing the pastor preach and talk, and we start looking around. We start pointing elbows, and we start saying, yeah, are you listening? This is for you. Yes, you messed up this week. Yes, that's for you, 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 and you. Oh, yeah, definitely you. Oh, you are so bad. I read your Facebook feed this week. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you were such a sinner. I saw where you were last week. Oh, I know what your kids are like. Oh, no, you need this message. That's what Simon was doing. Instead of saying... I don't know if you know this old song. It's a kind of a corny song. You may remember it. It's called, It's Me, It's Me, It's Me, O oh Lord, Standing in the Need of Prayer. Not my sister, not my mother, not my brother, but it's me, O oh Lord. It's an old song. Some of you are like, ah, kind of. Some of you just don't even want to admit you didn't know it. I know you know it, but you're just like, no, I'm not going to admit it. And so there's just that song where we need to get back to the point where we say, God, it's me. I'm the problem here. It's not my wife. I want to blame her. It's not my kids. I want to blame them. It's me. I'm the one in the story. I'm the one that's messing things up. I'm the one who needs the forgiveness. I'm the debtor. And Jesus comes in and he changes things. It's interesting though. Simon used the loophole of the law. Jesus used love. Which one was the woman drawn to? She was drawn to love. Have you ever asked yourself, why aren't people drawn to me? Some of you, you have a heart of gold and you've been wanting to see people come to the church, but have you ever asked yourself why people aren't drawn to you? Why they're not asking you about your church? Some of the people that bring a lot of people to our church, and I'm, I'm, this isn't like we give out the medals and we give them a commission like, oh yeah, you get 20 bucks, you brought another one, keep them coming. You know, We don't have anything like that. But it doesn't surprise me, the people that bring a lot of people to church, because there's been such a change. There's just something about their spirit, their attitude. And it doesn't surprise me because there's something real that's happened. And maybe that be a moment where we say, God, why, why aren't people asking about what church I go to? Why aren't people looking at me and saying, I want to go to whatever church that person goes to because I see the change. I see how I see how that teenager treats my teenage daughter. And I may not be what he is, but I like what he is. And, and, and I see how that business person leads his business, and, and you know what? There's Man, I just like it. I, I can't figure this guy out on my team, but man, there's just something good about him. He shows up on time. He does the job. He doesn't complain. He's not trying to steal hours or steal money. He's not taking staplers and, and paper clips and erasers and stuff from the company, and he's not trying to take stuff from us. He's constantly just trying to give back. There's something real with this guy. But if they look at us and they say, man, I don't know if that church works. We're the walking billboard, not so much of a church. And sometimes we can get too wrapped up in church. But we're a walking billboard of what a Christian should be. And I think sometimes people look at us and say, I don't want it. I know there's been times people have looked at me and said, I don't want that. And I think for us over the next couple of weeks it's coming back to, wait a minute, I don't want to just be a Christian. I don't want to just settle for Christian. I want to settle for something bigger. I want to aim for something higher. You see, but Jesus didn't just love these people because they were lovely. They weren't. They weren't. Once Jesus loved them, they became lovely. Because their value was not in themselves. The value is in the love that Jesus puts on them. And Jesus said, I love these people. And that gave them value. And this love, it's an illogical love. This love makes no sense. The love that Jesus showed you and I, it just doesn't pan out. It doesn't make any sense. If you were to come up to me and say, why would Jesus die? The one who had grown up in a system, who had done nothing wrong, who had lived pure, who had been uh, gone through everything he went through on the cross. Why would he die for me? I couldn't give you a good enough reason. Because it's not going to make sense. It's illogical. But I've often thought about the best kind of love. It doesn't make sense. Guys, come on, why our wives love us is a mystery. Because we ugly. Like, let's just be honest. Like, we just busted in the face, you know? And I look at some of you, and I'm like, I don't know how you got hurt. Like, I don't know, is she blind? Like, colorblind? Like, you have glasses? I mean, you see that, dude? I mean, man, what happened, you know? And uh, so I know all the men are just like, I do not like you. They're all going to leave the church now. I'm sorry. I threw myself into the group. It's all right. Woke half you up anyway. But it just doesn't make sense. So we do understand it in in one context. But Jesus' love went beyond just not making sense. It actually kind of does make sense in the point where you think about, hey, Jesus realized this is the only way to change us. You see, but this woman, she has been wrecked by love. She's sobbing. Uh, Some of you... You've seen people cry, but I mean I've never seen somebody cry where they cried enough to be able to wash somebody's feet. Like like that's amazing to me. Like in a couple of tears, you know, and then but when somebody starts crying like that, and then it gets kind of gross, you know, like the nose starts running, you know, and it's like you know, and so I'm like, okay, she's washing Jesus' feet, but if she's crying like that, like I don't know what other moisture is coming. I mean, this is like, you know, I don't know if it's really working here, but she is just wrecked at this moment. And I'm thinking, it's no wonder that she could show reckless love. It's because she had been wrecked by love. And some of you, you find it very hard to love others. And I think it's because you've never been wrecked by that love. I don't think when we read the scripture and we see how much God loves us, that we actually comprehend the full extent of it. That Jesus said, hey, the whole law, we can condense it down. And it's simply love God and love others. That's it. It's all hinges on love. And I know for some people, you want to say, no, 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 there's got to be truth in there, and we need to give people judgment, and I don't have grace, and I don't have mercy, and what's up with all this love stuff, we're trying to be a wishy-washy church, and I'm not saying that, I'm saying that when it all boils down to it, Christians should have one stigma, where people said they changed the world, and they did it because of love. Like It doesn't make any sense. Like it Honestly, in our minds, we should be boggled that that's what jo- and God chose for us to use. That we as a church, if we're going to make a difference in this movie theater, if we're going to make a difference in this mall, if we're going to make a difference in this community, it's because you and I got back to the fact that, hey, I'm just going to use love. And as we are wrecked by love, and as we hear a song like we sung today, where we just see how much God loves us. And I think sometimes we don't engage with the words. We're, we're enjoying the good music. But if you just start reading those words, it's so hard not to think that's me. I was the one with the broken past. That's me with the messed up stuff that I've done. That was me, but he redeemed me. He changed me. He loved me. He died for me, and he gave me a great future, and everything has changed, and I'm redeemed, and all of a sudden, that's what we want for this world, and I believe that a world could get a glimpse of that. They would want it too. They would see it, and they would say it's real, and if they could see a church that modeled that and lived that, great things would happen, but we can't until can't show reckless love until we've been wrecked by it. A great theologian once said by the name of, his name was Steve Jobs, great theologian. He said, the juice goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith or belief rather than living like Jesus. He said the juice, the power goes out. There's there's nothing to it unless you have love. He said the very ethos, the very very, uh, cornerstone of our faith is this thing of love. For some of you that your cars, they run on gas, unless you have a Prius and you're trying to save the planet. Thank you very much. Um, But your car runs on this gasoline. It's what drives the engine. What drives the engine of Christianity is not supposed to be the law. It's supposed to be love. But so many times you and I are tempted to go back to the law. The Bible says the law was powerless to change. The law brings knowledge of sin. It can't change it. Can't do anything about it. That's what we use the law for. It just brings the knowledge of sin. It just tells us what is right and what is wrong. But it doesn't have the power to change us from that sin. That's what the law did. But love, come on, we understand it. We've done something wrong. And in that moment we've done something wrong, we see that our spouse or our friend or our boss still shows kindness and mercy and love to us. We're just kind of blown away by it. We're shocked by it. And that's what we need. Every movement of God, fueled with people who are deeply in love with God, will change the world. Every movement. When we are fueled by love, when it drives us. I'm going to close with an illustration. Her name was Anne Rice. She uh, wrote 30 books. She sold over 100 million copies. Uh, Several of her books and made it into movies. One of the movies was Interview with a Vampire. Well, when she was 50 years old, she became a Christian. She came back to faith, Anne Rice. And uh, she, she, she comes back to faith. She talks about how she's glorious converted and uh, how she comes back to what a Christian believes. And then 10 years later, in, um, I believe it was 2005, she wrote on her Facebook page, I quit. Here's what she wrote. I, I took the article, and I'm going to read it for you verbatim. She says, in her article, she said this. She said, I am out. I remain committed to Christ as always but not being a part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this quarrelsome, hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. Homework assignment. See how many times you can work disputatious into a conversation this week. You'll just sound brilliant, okay? Like Anne Rice, she's just brilliant. She worked disputatious into a thing. Just sounds great. For 10 years I've tried, I've failed, I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow nothing else. Hold on now. She says I quit being a Christian, I'm out. But then she says I remain committed to Christ. Is that possible? It is. Because we've gotten so wrapped up in Christian, a title that we didn't even call ourselves. Jesus didn't even call us that. He calls disciples. A disciple is one who follows Jesus, who one who is a pupil, one who studies him. That's very defined. Christian is so broad it could be anything but we need to get back to something deeper and at the crux of a disciple Jesus said we are to love and he models it how we love in this passage in my mind I don't think Anne Rice would have quit Christianity if that would have been modeled but I think what she was around was more the people who were looking for the loopholes in the law instead of leveraging love this week we need to look and say Lord How can I leverage more love in this situation? Because this situation needs love right now. And Lord, I'm I'm tired of just settling for being a Christian. The world's got enough of those. We need something else. I almost want to say Christian's broken. Because we got everybody saying they are. But we got more problems, more issues. Christianity is broken. But being a Christ follower, being a disciple, that's where the future is.